Turning your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. You may have heard him referred to as Nehemiah. Um, but Nehemiah, one of the shortest uh, guys in the Bible, because Nehemiah, okay, anyway. Um, but, uh, but, but Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending our time um, this morning. And here's how we're going to kind of set this up. I'm guessing that for each and every one of us in the room, there's something that just really bugs us. There's something that just really bugs us. There's something that really bothers you. There's something that really weighs on you. So can I hear a couple? What's something that's really bugging you? Okay, Luke, yeah. Your brother. Jen, we're doing a parenting thing for five weeks. Somebody somebody else. uh, Somebody else. What's something that really bugs you? What's something that really bothers you? Top that. Nothing? People that chew too loud. Okay, that's good. Appreciate the vulnerability there. Somebody else. The bubble, right? You got to have the bubble, right? People that don't respect the bubble. Are the two of you okay right there, chewing and personal space? Okay, good. I'm just, okay, I'm just making sure. All right. One or two more. Yeah. People who stop at a yield sign, most of which that have a Massachusetts plate. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Sorry. Anybody else? Yeah. People who don't yield. People that see the yield sign and think that, go with blue, bluesy. Okay. Anyway, Gloria. Lack of positivity. Yeah, lack of positive talk and building. We talked a little bit about that last week. Lack of positivity. What else? One or two more. One or two more. This is fun. Yeah. (laughs) That we can't eat sugar at every meal and be healthy. Really? That's a thing? (laughs) It makes a lot of sense now. Okay, good. All right, one more. Oh, I see two. We'll, go, we'll just do the two of you right here and we'll be done. House is not self-cleaning. That bugs you. I didn't hear that. People walk on the wrong side of the hallway at school. There's certain sides that you're allowed to walk on. Is that is that the thing? We need, a, we need to end on a better one than that. No offense, McKenna, but we, we, need, to, there's something. We, need to, we need to end on one more. One more. Okay, Pastor Rick. Hey, that's real. 27 items in a 10 item or less lane. Now, some of y'all are guilty with that, and that was the conviction that you needed this morning in coming to church. Amen. Let's pray and go home. No, don't get your hopes up. Okay. There's things that bug us, right? And we had a little bit of fun with that. We had a little bit of fun with that. But no doubt, no doubt, I'm guessing in this room, there are big things too. An injustice, 
someone hurting, a need, someone that you know of that's been abused or is in an abusive situation, neglected, um, something that disturbs you, upsets you, something that when you think about it, it just makes your blood boil. And so why are we going to talk about this today? Well, I'm glad you asked, because today, right, Labor Day weekend has kind of become the new, uh, the new New Year, right? The new New Year. They say, um, they, they say that we kind of have two New Years, two kind of back to, um, back to the grind dates, and that's January 1, right, when everybody joins the gym, and when school starts, right, Labor Day weekend, and, and everybody starts to kind of get back into the school routine. I know we're trying to do that at our house, and we've got a middle schooler now, and school starts an hour earlier, and so everything's an hour earlier in our house a little, and now, and, and so things are, things are a little bit hectic as we're trying to figure out our new routine. Um, and so as we think about this, something that bugs us, something that makes our blood boil, something that just really bothers us, the point of the message today is this. The burden you bear often reveals the calling you'll embrace. The burden you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. I say it one more time. The burden you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. And so you rarely know, right? You rarely know on the front end when you're onto something, when you're on the front end of something really special, right? You rarely know that, right? Some of the best things, some of the best memories, some of the best things that have ever happened happen um, when we least expect them, right? When we're not expecting them. Um, and so we just saw a need, we saw an opportunity to help, we're giving something a shot. And that's exactly where some of us are right now, is that we're on the front end of something very special. We're considering serving in an area, we're considering starting a small group, we're praying about an idea, we're thinking about starting something or joining something, and we have no idea that we're on the front end of something really special. And God has been working everything together over the last few weeks, days, months, years to prepare you for what is coming. And that's kind of what happened with Nehemiah here. Nehemiah Let's talk about the book of Nehemiah before we jump into chapter 2, give it a little bit of the backstory. In 587 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. Okay, they attacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, the Babylonians took Jewish people captive, and now decades later, some of the Jews were released to go back and rebuild the homeland, but there were a couple of issues. They had no economic system, they had no leadership structure, they had no hope, and so the result of the whole thing was failure. And so 140 years after destruction, we have this ordinary guy, Nehemiah, who got brokenhearted for his people and his city. And we're going to read about that in Nehemiah chapter 2 in just a minute. But what I want us to point out real quickly, because you hear this so often in the church, that I don't have this, I don't have this, these credentials, I don't have this degree, and so on and so forth. Nehemiah was not a pastor. He wasn't a priest. Not a warrior, not a contractor, not verifier. Nehemiah's role was that he was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. He was a cupbearer. He was a servant for the king of Persia. And so he didn't have a formal appointed position, but he had a passion. 
So I want to talk to you this morning about that burden, and I want to talk to you about this morning about that burden, and pray that we could turn it into a passion, into a passion. Because one of my most, one of the things, can, can, I, can, I, get, can, I, can I get honest with you for just a second? Can we kind of peel back some, some layers of this onion? One of the things that frustrates me the most, hmm, for lack of better words, let's go with that. One of the things that, one of the things that <clears throat> me a little bit is the lack of passion within the church of Jesus. Every Sunday morning, when I walk into this place and those back doors are open and I look right here, I don't know what it is, man, but I just get infused with passion because here's the deal. Here's the reality. I don't believe that this happened so that we could sit here week after week after week and be bored and unchanged. In fact, John even says that in John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, many other signs and wonders were done in, in, that were not recorded in this book, but these are written. Scripture is written. This is here so that you may have life and so that you may have it to the full, right? That doesn't scream boredom to me. It screams passion. It screams passion. And so, let's look at Nehemiah. Because he, did, he didn't have a, an appointed position. He had a passion. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, we're not going to look there. We don't have time. Incredible prayer of Nehemiah as he prayed for his people. As he prayed, he sat down to cry. He knelt down to pray. But I want you to, I want you to see something. If you do ever see it, it says in verse 7, we have acted. He got up and acted on his prayer. He stood up to act. Somebody's got to do something, Nehemiah thought. Might as well be me. And so then we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2. In the, month of, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year king of, uh, in, of King Artaxerxes, when wine was, was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Again, cupbearer, right? And so he is bringing, he's bringing the cup. He's bringing the wine and giving it to the king. I'm sure it wasn't too much, right? Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Verse 2, and the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. So I want you to see, I want you to see the burden, right? The burden is visible in Nehemiah. The king points out the burden right? In Nehemiah, the, the sadness of heart. He, why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick. You're not sick, but you're sad. This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now, I want to just pause right there because I want you to see that Nehemiah here has been given a burden. Right? He's been given a burden, but out of honor and respect for who he is serving, right? He says, why, why should not my face be sad? But he says, he says, um, 
He says there, the king should live forever. Let the king live forever. So he's still respecting the authority that is over him. But I want you to see at the end of verse 4 where he says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah knew the ultimate authority. I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Now I want to stop right there and we're going to point out a couple things and we'll keep reading here in just a few minutes. But I want you to see, right, again, Nehemiah, right, deep burden for the people, right? Deep burden to do what? Go back and rebuild the city, right? Go back and rebuild his home. Go back and rebuild the place where he started, to go back and rebuild. And the first thing that he did here with his passion was he sought God faithfully. He sought God faithfully. Twelve times already, twelve times throughout the book of Nehemiah, but twelve times we see evidence of Nehemiah praying. Before he does, before he acts, before he does anything, he seeks God. He seeks God. He sought the heart of God. And so if we we think about the timeline, okay, if we think about the timeline, and and you have to kind of dig a little bit deeper, and I had the help of some commentaries in doing this, but he hears the news, um, he hears the news in chapter 1 of Kislev, right? That's November, December time frame. But then the month of Nisan that we picked up in chapter 2, four months later, okay? Four months, of, four months later. So four months had passed, and, 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 and we see in chapter 1 that he's praying, that he's fasting, that he's seeking God. And what I want to point out here as he's seeking God for wisdom, and as we seek God faithfully with the things that bother us, whether it be our brothers or the people around us that chew too loud, or the people that walk on the wrong side of the hallway, or the people that get in the 10-item line with 27 things, when it comes to prayer, nothing is too big for God's power or too small for God's heart. Nothing is too big for God's power. Nothing is too small for God's heart. It makes me think of a friend of mine uh, that's down in Tennessee, and um, he uh, was sitting at, at coffee with a friend of his one time, and 
Um, I told the story at Camp 207, so if you were there, you've, you've heard this before, but um, they, were, they were talking, and, and it was getting about lunchtime, and so they decided to eat lunch together, and they were, like many of we will, and, and many of us will in a, in a, in a couple hours, they were, they were arguing over where to eat lunch. They didn't know, well, you decide, no, you decide, no, you decide, no, you decide. I picked last time. No, you didn't. I picked last So, you know, that whole conversation. And, um, and, and so they were trying to figure out where to eat lunch. And, and finally, my friend spoke up and said, hey, let's pray about it. <laughs> and the other guy kind of started laughing. Like, you think God cares where we're going to eat lunch? And my friend said, yeah, I think God cares where we're going to eat lunch. Let's, let's pray about it. And so they were right there in the coffee shop, and they prayed about it. And when they said amen, they chose this Thai place. So... I, and and they, they chose this Thai place. They decided on something. They decided to go to the Thai place. And they're sitting at the Thai place. They're eating lunch. And, and, um, and uh, they noticed that this guy was across the restaurant staring at him. Their whole meal. He was by himself. And he, they just noticed that he was across the restaurant and just, just staring at him the entire time they were eating. So they paid their check. And they were going out in the parking lot and parting ways after spending the morning together and, and catching up and having lunch together. And as they're in the parking lot parting ways, this guy that had been staring at him the whole time during lunch runs out into the parking lot and says, hey, hey, I need to ask you a question. So they both got a little nervous, but um, the guy that was with my friend uh, is who the guy that was staring was talking to, you guys following all this? This guy, this guy, this guy, right? Okay, and, um, and, uh, and looked at him and said, you were preaching two weeks ago at that church down, down the road, weren't you? And the guy said, yeah. He said, hey, I, I needed to tell you, I needed to tell you that my, my wife and I, we were at complete odds and, and we were arguing and we, we were on the verge of divorce. I had already met with an attorney, but I agreed to go to church with her that night as one last opportunity. And God gripped my heart and changed my life. And we're happy and we're in counseling and we're just really excited to see um, what God is going to do with, the, with our restoration. And I've been praying for the last two weeks that I would see you again so that I could thank you for saving my marriage. Isn't that incredible? And so my friend looked at the guy he spent all morning with and said, hey, it looks like God answers prayer. Patted him on the back and got in the car and left and left the two of them to finish talking. When it comes to prayer, there's nothing too small for God. See, many of us, right, many of us, and, and I'm guilty just as much as I'm sure some of you are sitting in the room, you're, you're, you're going through something, you're walking through something, and, and big or small, and you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, God shouldn't have to bother with this, I can handle this, I can do this, right? And the last thing that, that, that comes to mind, or the, one of the last things that comes to mind is prayer until the temperature gets to a, until the temperature gets hot enough where we all pray. But when it comes to prayer, nothing's too big for God's power and too small for God's heart. And when you think about the burden that God is giving you, that God has placed on your heart, if prayer isn't necessary to accomplish your vision, then you're not thinking big enough. If you can accomplish the burden, if you can accomplish the thing that God's put on your heart, you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking big enough. And so... 
Nehemiah sought God faithfully. And if we're going to accomplish the things that God has placed in our hearts, then we've got to seek God faithfully as well. I want you to see the second thing he did. He defined the vision clearly. Look at verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to God of heaven, right? And I said to the king, if it pleases you and found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it that I may rebuild it. And, um, and so we see here, please send me to Judah, right? This is his plan. This is his plan. So the, the king asked him, what can I do? Send me to the city so I can rebuild the city. He didn't say, he didn't say, well, there's something I've been thinking about, right? There's something I've been thinking about. Um, I'm kind of tired of pouring your wine. I've always wanted to travel. Maybe you could send later, uh, maybe I'll just send letters to people asking them to give. Might just go and see if I can, you, you know, you know, like, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. For most people, it's not a lack of caring that's your problem. It's a lack of clarity. It's not a lack of caring. It's a lack of clarity. Well, I want to help kids. Which ones? Do you want to help all the kids? Do you want to help kids that don't have basic needs? Do you want to help kids that can't read? Do you want to help kids that don't have homes? Do you want to help kids that are in abusive situations? Where do you want to help kids? Do you want to help kids in another country? Do you want to help kids in Portland, Scarborough, Southern Maine, Cumberland County? Do you want to help kids in, 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 in your backyard? What does help them mean? Do you want to help them with shoes? Do you want to help them with food? Do you want to help them with clothing? Medical attention, education, do you want to help them with, with, with certain needs? Do you want to help them find homes? If you can't define it, then you can't do it. Nehemiah defined his call. I want to go rebuild the city. I want to go rebuild the city. And so, which leads us into number three, right? Seek God faithfully, define the vision clearly. And then the third thing he did was he made plans carefully. It pleased the king, we see in verse 6. It pleased the king when he had heard a date. And so I want you to see the plans then that Nehemiah made. I said to the king, if it pleases, I need letters to the governors of the province, of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass, right? And so he needed some authority. He needed some help getting through. He needed some protection. And then if you could give me letters to Asaph, the, key, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the wood for the beams of the gates and the fortress of the temple. So not only protection, but he needed provision. And so he's making these plans for protection. He's making these plans for provision. And the reality is that the thing that we need to see here is, is that the plan doesn't need to be perfect because it never is. Amen? The plan doesn't need to be perfect, but the plan, the plan needs to be to do the next right thing. To do the next right thing, to have the next right conversation, to, have, to make the next right decision. Success isn't the accomplishment in the future, it's the right thing today. Righteousness is defined as being faithful with what's right in front of you. My favorite definition of righteousness. And so we got to make plans carefully in the next right decision, the next right conversation. Um, you may not know this about me. Not, I don't think many people know this about me, but it really came out in, um, in, in that thing uh, called sabbatical. I like planning. 
Hi, my name is Travis, and I like planning. You know why I like planning? Because I like knowing the result of things. Yes, I am that guy that will Google spoilers on TV shows because I'm not waiting three months to find out who wins Survivor. I'm just not. I want to know. I'll still watch the show and know, and it drives everybody else, it drives Kristen crazy because she's like, you already know who won. It's not even fun watching it with you, but I still enjoy it. I still enjoy it. I just like knowing. I like knowing what's coming. I like knowing what's ahead. I like knowing what's around the corner. I like knowing. When I hiked Katahdin with my little girls, I liked being in front because I wanted to know what was around the corner. I didn't want Bria to discover it first. I like scaring people. I don't like being scared because I like knowing what's coming. Okay? And if you stand around the corner, I cannot promise you what I will or will not do. If you jump out at me, consider yourself warned. (laughs) But I like knowing what's coming. I like making plans. I like analyzing a situation. I like saying, okay, if we make this decision, these are the results. If we make this decision, these are the results. We like this, you know, I like, but a plan is never perfect. And one of the areas that God's working on me is when the plan changes. Right? Really, God? We had this all worked out, and we were going to do this, and I was going to, and then you were going to intervene here, and you didn't show up when you were supposed to, and so we got to have a conversation, right? Nehemiah made plans carefully. He knew that he needed protection. He knew that he needed provision, and so he asked the king. He asked the king, and then lastly. We're going to skip down to verse 17 and 18 just for the sake of time. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And, I, and we got to define that word good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they, they strengthened their hands for the good work. They strengthened their hands for the good work. So what happened is that, is that Nehemiah left, right? You look at verse 9. He said, then I came to the governors and, and, he, and he left and he went to Jerusalem and was there three days and uh, gathered all of these things as he told the king that he was going to do. He followed through with his plans. Then he said to the people that were there, to the Jews, to the priests, and he, he said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Does this burden you? Do you see? Do you see the problem? How Jerusalem lies in ruins and the gates are burned? Come, let us rebuild. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer. There's an answer here, derision. And I told them of the hand of God. He testified. The most powerful story that you have to share as the testimony of what God's doing in your life. He, Nehemiah testifies here. He testifies of, of his encounter with God and of the words that the king had spoken to him, how God had already gone before him. And he says this, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. He inspired people passionately. He inspired people passionately. 
I love this quote. I shared this also at Camp 207. It's by John Wesley. He says this. He says, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. What's your passion? When you sit here and think, and and many times, many times, um, it's that first thing you think of. What is your passion? What is your passion? What you care about, what you're passionate about, isn't an accident. God knew what he was doing when he made you with that passion. The burden you bear often reveals the difference you make. And so my question is, what are you passionate for? What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Whenever I think about that, I think about how God called me here. Do you mind if I tell you? I'll try to give you the short version. Is that okay? When God called me to ministry, I was 16 years old. There were two things that I thought I wanted to do. There were two things I was pretty passionate about. The first was teenagers. I was one of those guys that would plan an event for two hours earlier so that I could spend more time with your teenagers because, yes, I like them, even though they were a little sensitive about which side of the aisle you walked down. <laughs> and their siblings. Man, I love teenagers. And um, the second was disability ministry. Love disability ministry. Kristen and I and the family, we still get to do disability ministry a couple weeks out of the year. and It is one of our favorite things that we do as a family. It's awesome. I could talk for a long time about that. So I went to college and um, decided I would major in youth ministry because I just thought, you know what, I want to be a youth pastor. And God just kind of revealed over time that that was the thing that I was a little bit more passionate about. And so for four years, I served as a youth pastor in North Carolina and did all-nighters. Bless your hearts. If you're a youth leader and you've ever done an all-nighter, you are an unspoken hero in the kingdom of heaven. Um, I had a great time. But you know what I noticed in that four years of youth ministry? How broken teenagers are. Now, we're all broken, but if you talk to a teenager for more than five minutes, and I know we've got some teenagers sitting in here this morning, the biggest thing you can come to grips with this morning, teenagers, is that you're broken. And the thing that I realized was I wasn't helping. Because I would spend an hour a week with them. And I read this article, it was actually turned into a book, but I read this article and it said, it said youth pastors spend about 40 hours a year with a teenager. Parents spend about 40 hours a week with a teenager. 
And I was like, wow. And that means like awake, you know what I mean? So just think about it, right? And so I thought, whoa, man, parents are the thing that's going to make the difference here in, this teen, in these teenagers' life. And so I've, I'm in the wrong role. If I'm going to be passionate about teenagers, then, then, then what's going to reach them is not me yelling at them for an hour a week and giving them pizza and filling them up with sugar and trying to teach them which aisle of the hallway to walk down. That's not helping right? That's not helping. I'm not contributing here, right? I'm putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. If, if, if I am going to impact teenagers, then I've got to shepherd parents to be the pastors of their home. And so in 2010, in 2010, God gave me a holy discontent. And I will never forget it. I was sitting in my garage talking with a really good friend of mine as we were reading Crazy Love and a book called Radical by David Platt. Crazy Love was written by Francis Chan. And we were both reading these books and we were talking about, man, just just things that God was doing and stirring in our hearts and sitting in my garage there in Charlotte, North Carolina. And God was calling him to plant a church in Florida and God was calling me to to do big church ministry. I always called this big church, like student ministries, little church or whatever. Anyway, God was calling me to do big church ministry, and I'll never forget that night, God giving us both a holy discontent. And man, it was uncomfortable. But I knew God had called me to it. And so walked through a process, walked through a process. Years later, or not years, months later, God called me to this church to begin doing senior adult ministry. But here's not senior, a big church. Big church ministry. And when God gave me a holy discontent, there was nothing that was going to stand in the way. There was nothing that was going to stand in the way. Nothing that was going to stand in the way. I'll never forget. Sometimes, sometimes I think we need to share this, right? And I know it sounds like, oh, you know, that's so cute. That's so awesome. It could happen to you. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. They called me in August. I submitted my resume in June, um, and, and they, they called me in August, and they said, okay, here's the deal. We received like 120 resumes. Um, we've got a top three. We've got a backup top three. If we were to rank you, you're number five. But what they didn't know is that Kristen and I had just prayed an hour earlier that God would drop whatever we were supposed to do in our lap, because we didn't know if we were called to come up here and plant a church. We didn't know if we were called to come up here and pastor South Coast Community Church. We didn't know what God was calling us to do, but we just knew God was calling us to New England to do big church ministry, okay? And, and so, so my wife prayed in a car, leaving um, Asheville, North Carolina, heading home. God dropped whatever we're supposed to do in our lap, and an hour later, this guy calls me and says, hey, you're number five. How does that make you feel? You want to know what I told him? I said, man, that makes me feel awesome. And he was shocked. He said, awesome? I just told you you were number five out of, out of our top six. I said, yeah, my wife just prayed an hour ago that God would drop it in our lap. And you making this phone call right here tells me that I'm your next pastor. So whatever process you guys need to walk through to figure that out, I'm good with <laughs> I literally told them that, and I wish you could have seen the look on my wife's face as she was driving down I-26 in North Carolina. It was unbelievable. Actually, we were probably in South Carolina at that point. It was unreal. She was like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah. And uh, we talked for about an hour because he, he wanted to hear more about that. And we hung up the phone. October, two months later, my phone rings. I had almost forgotten about this. We were pursuing other things. We had come here in Maine and spent two weeks and didn't even, didn't even visit n- nothing. Some of you were here during that time, right? And, and, uh, and, and, and we were just here for two weeks. I met with a church planting group and talked about planting. And so Kristen and I were going home. We were praying. And, 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 and end of October, same guy calls me back. He says, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Our last conversation was in August. I was like, I remember you. He sounded so defeated. He said, we, you know, we pursued this guy. It didn't work out. This person backed out. This person went to another church. This person's not even in ministry anymore. And the sixth person's not even in ministry anymore. He's like, basically, you're all we've got left. And so either you're our next pastor or we're going to have to really figure some things out. And I said, what did I tell you in August? I said, God dropped it in our lap then and I told you to just figure out whatever you needed to figure out. And here we are two months later and I was hired January 15th. I think I was, we, we moved up January 15th. So I was hired the 1st of January, like two months after that phone call. Four months after we prayed God would drop it in our lap. And here I am. And for some of you, I'm like a wart. You can't get rid of me. (laughs) For others of you, a blessing. I've got two moms and an aunt and a sister-in-law in in here that think I'm a blessing. The rest of you, whatever. Most of the time, they think I'm a blessing, I think. But man, when you go back to your call, it's awesome. When God gave me a burden for you, for this city, for this place, for your teenagers, for your children, for their children, that's scary. What's your passion? You know the fear I have for us? is that we're so stuck in just surviving and going to the next thing that we don't even know what our passion is. That we're so consumed, as we talked about last week, right? We talked about last week, Jeremiah 29, 13, and you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. That we're so consumed trying to pursue all of these other things that we're trying to pursue, all of this stuff that we don't even know what we're passionate about anymore, that we don't even know what makes us tick anymore, that we don't even know what makes our blood boil anymore, that we don't even know what bugs us. And so as a result, we've just become numb to all of it. And Nehemiah, through prayer, developed this passion where nothing was going to stand in his way. Nothing was going to stand in his way. And he goes back, goes back to his homeland, tells the people what God's done, how God's prepared the way, and says, let us, let us rise up and build, right? So they strengthened their hands. They said, let us rise up and build. But he tells them what they're doing. He instills this passion. He stirs this passion within. They strengthened their hands for the good work. What's your good work? 
What's your passion? What is God calling you to? And I think this is such a good time for this message because as we're putting routines back together, what is the sacrifice you need to make to accomplish the passion that God's placed in your heart? And as we walk into communion, Jeff's going to come and play with us. Play for us. Go ahead. Come on up. Noodle a little bit. He likes to noodle. I thought about, okay, well, how does this fit into communion? And God gave me that verse we talked about last week. Hebrews chapter 12. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what the passion of Jesus was? Us. Us. All of this. All of this. Hebrews 12.2, who for the joy that was set before Him, you were the joy. I was the joy that was set before Jesus. We were the passion of Jesus in Philippians 2 when He stepped out of heaven and made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. We were His passion that we could have life, that we could have hope, that we could have passions, that we could shepherd children so that we could do the things that God has placed in our hearts and have the freedom to do so. The freedom to do so. I think this is so fitting as we talk about passion, as we talk about God's call on your life, as we talk about what is God stirring within you because you're the passion of Jesus that led to this. That led to His body being broken for you. His blood being poured out for you. The cross. And so as you ponder that as we sit and meditate this morning, some folks that are going to come and help me serve today. As you sit this morning and as you hold these elements and we partake of communion, I want you to meditate on the fact and marvel at the fact, awe in the fact that you're His passion. And then ask the question, God, what are you calling me to? What are you leading me to? One of the biggest things I've been praying for people over the last few weeks as I've been speaking at camps and, and, and even me. You know what I need to pray for sometimes? For me. God, give me 30 seconds of boldness to do what you're asking me to do right now in this moment. Just give me 30 seconds of boldness. Just give me 30 seconds of boldness. One of the only snippets of a message I listened to from this past summer, I've listened to a couple so far, but during the summer that I listened to was Dylan preaching back in early August. And he, and he shared the story. He said, I could go over and share my faith with this person. And what's the risk? Five minutes of feeling awkward until the next thing comes. What's God calling you to? And maybe, maybe your prayer this morning is that right there. God, give me 30 seconds of boldness to say what I need to say to my son. 
Give me 30 seconds of boldness to say what I need to say to my daughter. Give me 30 seconds of boldness to say what I need to say to, to my husband or to my wife or to my boss or to my coworkers or to, my, to the people that are working for me or to, to my neighbor or to this person or to that person. Give me 30 seconds of boldness to, to be a light for you. And he's going to do the work. He's going to do the work. Let him do the work. Let Him go before you. If He's in it, if He's leading you to do it, if He's stirring you to do it, if He's giving you the passion to do it, don't you think He's in it? You're His passion. What has He instilled in you to be passionate about? And how can you seek Him? How can you make plans and share the vision clearly and instill passion in others? Father, I thank You. I thank You that You haven't called us to a boring life. I thank You that You haven't called us to just make it. I thank You that You haven't called us to just go to the next thing. I thank You that You have called us to a life of passion and a life of living and a life of experiencing You in every moment and every conversation and every relationship. I thank You. I thank You that You've called us to deeper. I thank You that You've called us to more. I thank You that You've modeled that who for the joy that was set before You for us, for You so loved the world that You endured the cross despising the shame and it didn't end there that you rose and are seated at the throne so God this morning as we enter into this time God I pray that you'd remind us that you'd remind us of the power of your blood that you'd remind us of the power of your work of your body in Jesus name